Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. So today is the feast of the slaughter of the innocents. Wow. What a thing to have during the Christmas season. We're going to reflect on that and on the role of St. Joseph, the importance of the father, the foster father of the Messiah, the savior of the world, the son of God, of Jesus. And reflect on that in, in relationship to our lives, our call, our call to be saints, our call to fulfill our God-given mission. Get a minute on Sound Insight. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. Let's pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, I thank you for the gift of St. Joseph, uh, the gift of the Holy Family. Lord, please uh, bless us. Give us the grace of looking to heaven, looking to heavenly intercessors for living our lives here on earth. And Lord, give us the grace to be courageous in the midst of challenging times. Give us the grace to recognize the call that is ours, and be willing to follow it. I also pray in a special way for my son, John Luke, on his birthday. Lord, I ask that John Luke Thomas Curran would be blessed today to be a, a young a man of God as he turns 17. Lord, that he would grow in godliness, that he would grow in health and happiness. And I make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Last couple of days, I've been having dreams. I, I, I don't really remember my dreams. I'm not a kind of a dream guy, but I had a dream of my dad, and then a dream of my mom and my dad. Now, my dad died about three months ago, and my mom died about six years ago, just six years and a month. And it something I think I'm still processing. People have said that you'll uh, at, at some point, come to realize that you know how much you miss them. There'll be that place in your heart that emerges, and you'll have a deep sense of grief and sorrow, and 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 letting that out. But so far, that hasn't really happened for me. I, I I'm certainly I, I shouldn't say I'm certainly sad they're gone. I, I don't mean it like I don't feel like at a felt level that sense of sadness. I, I do miss them. Um, at the same time, I do have a sense of connecting with them that they are being purified in purgatory or home in heaven. And I, I do pray that their purification would be complete. I do have the confidence that they uh, were saved, that they were saved because of the the manner in which their final months were lived and their ability to be able to receive the sacraments and go to confession and be anointed and and things like that, right? So to give me that sense of confidence in their own Catholic Christian faith in Jesus Christ. But uh, today, I, I, I mean, I think, about, I think about my dad and being a father, and in the light of the fact that it's my son's birthday, well, I have two sons, John Mark and John Luke, and John Luke just is down to 17, and it, it, 
has me thinking more about being a father to them. Carrie and I have been doing some of our end of the year kind of meeting together and doing some planning and budgeting and uh, assessing of things. And one of the things that showed up, uh, and not a, it's not the first time it's showed up, it, it's kind of came back into focus again, was the call that we have as parents. You know, what is that? How do you define that call? Right? How do you define that call from the standpoint of like categories to, to help you think about, um, you know, am I doing a good job? Right? Am I doing a good job? And um, I, you, you can say, oh, well, think about their lives as disciples. Are you forming their mind? Are you forming their heart? Are you forming them to live as disciples? Are you forming them to uh, be in community? Different dimensions of discipleship. But I always, not always, for the last, say, 10 years, I've been focused on those themes of leading, providing, and protecting. Leading, providing, and protecting. And that's the kingly ministry, the priestly ministry, and the prophetic ministry that we share in because of Jesus Christ through baptism. And as that kingly servant leadership, I'm supposed to go before my kids and set the example and also uphold a standard and hold them accountable to live in accord with that standard. As a, a part of my priestly ministry, I am to be with them and to go before God on their behalf and and go before them on God's behalf and be a bridge, a conduit where God's life can be poured into them and their their heart's concerns can be brought before God. And as a as a in that priestly role, being with them to encourage them, to celebrate them, to cheer them on and cheerlead them. And and then as a prophet, to say, I will speak the truth. I've, I've got their back, that prophetic ministry that says, uh, I acknowledge and, and recognize where you've come from, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna support you when you're struggling. I'm gonna lift you up and hold you up where uh, things are hard for you. And so, support, encouragement, and accountability. Priest, prophet, and king. Lead, provide, and protect. So I lead, I provide, and then protect them, and protect them by speaking the truth to them. I, I've been listening to a couple of. Uh, I was listening to a couple of talks recently uh, or a podcast on a talk, and I noticed that lots of these like, sources of information and, and teaching and, and guidance around fathers, uh, what their role is, they often talk about provide and protect, provide and protect, but not as much about leading. And and of course you can say leading. Oh yeah, well of course they're called to be the spiritual leader in the home. They're called to be a leader. But when I hold all three together to lead, to provide, and to protect, this year it has kind of bubbled up to the surface the tension that exists, the the way in which it's not always easy to keep those three together like well to keep them in 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 good relationship so the way, the reason i say that is that for years as the provider and protector of my kids and maybe especially my boys but but my kids i saw it as my duty as my obligation to provide that cover over their lives you're safe because you're under the covering of my protection. And 
you'll experience good things because of my provision. And so I want your life to be one that is free from concern and anxiety, free from fear and worry. I don't want you to wonder whether everything is going to be okay. No, I want you to have a tremendous confidence that everything's going to be all right because dad's here. Dad, Dad's going to provide for us to have a home and to have the stuff we need and to experience good things in life. And he is going to protect us from the harsh realities of life, difficult things, the things that are um, are dangerous, the things that will make you afraid. No, no, don't worry. I, I've got you covered. And, and, and all of that you can place under the themes, the headings of provide and protect. Well, if we focus on what it means to lead, what it means to go first, to go ahead, to... Uh, to set the example by doing more and not even drawing attention to it, but providing that model, part of what is going to shift in that provide, protect commentary I just gave in terms of what I was giving to my kids is, is, is this idea that, you know what, if all I do is provide and protect it give you that sense of covering and a safe place to experience uh, care and, and all the good things you need. You know what that can easily lead to? A failure to launch. A failure to launch where it's the situation where my kids are like, I, gee, did I ever teach them how to do basic maintenance of a car? Did I ever, like, how do you change a tire, change the oil, change a windshield wiper? How do you uh, do basic uh, handyman tasks around the house? Things like, how do you put change a light, a light fixture? How do you change the PVC pipes under a sink? How do you change a faucet? How do you fix a dishwasher? How do you um, uh, patch a drywall? Okay, so all those things that I just said to you, all of those things I talked about with my kid, my boys, and my girls. I, one of my girls home from Steubenville. Well, we're meeting with our kids, and I didn't talk about changing the oil. And honestly, I didn't talk about changing a tire. But I talked about all the other things as things that, you know, I, I always do those things for you. I, I don't think I've spent enough time doing those things with you really teaching you how to do these things so that you'd be equipped one day to be able to do these things in your home, to do these things for yourself. And doing those things isn't necessarily fun. It's not necessarily easy. It's not, uh, it, it's, it's almost the opposite experience of hovering, protecting from harshness and how that can lead to a sense of passive passivity, like the, just the passive taking in of what is soft and pleasant and enjoyable. You heard me talk about these themes before, but it bubbled back up because with my four kiddos at Franciscan University, and again, my two boys there earlier than, than would have been typical, 
to be able to stop and think, hey, wait a minute, before you know it, they're going to be graduated from college and moving on in life. And, and maybe at that stage where if they're called to be married, they might have found uh, discern and, and found their, their spouse, their wife, and they get married. How are they going to provide, <laughs> protect, and lead their family? Unless I'm willing to do the like rigorous work of actually not just saying provided an example of what it meant to be a father, but the the work of discipling the kids, the, these kids now they're young adults and adults, uh, young adults to to do the hard easy, the hard easy. You 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 hear me say that phrase, the hard easy. Is something that we learned, Carrie and I learned, as something connected to uh, our daughter that was rebelling. And when we had to take more serious action to rescue her from a rebellious path that could lead into very, very difficult, dangerous, morally, spiritually, and even other personal uh, situations, that we had to do a very difficult thing. We had to do a hard thing so that her life could get easier. And she had to learn in an incredibly challenging setting at a residential treatment center to embrace the hard easy, do what's hard right now, do what's difficult right now, do a difficult good that doesn't bear immediate pleasant results. Choose, choose the difficult good right now, and eventually you're going to see fruits that are beautiful, glorious, that are worthy, that are noble, that will lead to human flourishing in your own life or maybe for others. And so that theme of the hard easy has come into my life with my boys and, and my kids, but just in the last few days, when Carrie and I are taking, you know, hours together, uh, and and we'll do do more today, to kind of like review and prepare and uh, put together a vision strategy plan and action for the next year, regarding things like a budget, to say to our kids, hey, what. Do you understand your your financial condition, not ours, your financial condition regarding your education? So we've worked with you. We've given you a great education, helped you to get scholarships. We've worked with you in the school to get you set up for success. And you've taken out a student loan and a student loan each year. But there's still a gap that remains, and what are we going to do to to cover that gap? Okay, we if we pay for it now, how much of that is coming back to you as a loan from the bank of mom and dad? And what's your plan? What well, what are you going to do to uh, pay that back? What are you going to do during your summer break? Right? Oh, summer break isn't summer vacation. Summer break isn't summer time away from school to go have fun. No, summer break is all of a sudden now a has a primary focus of, man, I got to go make some money. I've got to work hard and make money to be able to 
start paying for my own schooling and my other financial needs. Boy, that's a that's a that's a whole new message, right? That there's a difference between just saying, "Oh, I have a summer job that's a part-time job or even a, a full-time job," versus, "Wait a minute, I have to take responsibility for my own life and my own financial well-being." And so I need to do that. That's a different kind of conversation. That's not simply providing and protecting. That that's leading. And that's saying up your game, reject passivity, step forward. And that has a lot to do with St. Joseph and the Holy Family. More on this in a minute. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com. drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to Sound Insight. It's great to be with you today. So today is the Feast of the Slaughter of the Innocents. And it's kind of weird to call that a feast, right? It's These innocents were martyrs. They were martyred because of Jesus. And they were martyred because of Herod being threatened by Jesus, sent and called for the slaughter of all of these uh, newborn sons. And here's Joseph who has to step forward. Today in the program, I'm going to talk a bit about St. Joseph and, and the Holy Family. One of the things that happened over the break was, uh, I think it was, I think it was Carrie. Carrie said, hey, who should be the patron saint of our family? Who's the patron saint of our family? I would like to get a statue or some some depiction painting that would honor the patron saint of our family. And it was I said I said oh this is neat. Let's 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 pray about it and see who shows up. And it was neat because in our little group chat it was no question Saint Joseph. And someone else said I agree Saint Joseph. And then someone said, well, either St. Joseph or the Holy Family. And then there was the, can the Holy Family be, can Jesus be a patron saint for a family? <laughs> well, you could have the Holy Family as the patron. And so that was the the gist of the, the chat that went on. And I found that very moving because I had sensed St. Joseph or the Holy Family. And I so I told the, I told the, the kids the story. I reminded them of the story of, Terry and my engagement. We were engaged at the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception on the grounds of the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C. We had gone to Mass. It was a 5.30 Mass down in the Crypt Church. And down in the Crypt Church, the 5.30 Mass is like the last thing they do, and they close at 6. And so uh, after Mass, we went and uh, we went Past the altar, it's kind of in the in the round. The altar is sort of in the middle of the crypt church, and and there's a, a tabernacle against the far wall. Uh, and so we went and we were 
kneeling and praying before the, the right just up close near the tabernacle. It's a real blessing. And I then got down. We were kneeling, but I got down on a knee below the kneeler <laughs> and took the ring out of my pocket and asked Carrie to marry me. And she said yes. And uh, it was beautiful. And and then from there, we walked over to a pillar nearby that had a fresco of the Holy Family. And we together prayed and dedicated, consecrated our time of engagement, our marriage, and our family life, any future children that God would give to us. We consecrated our entire married and family life to the Holy Family and asked for the you know, special blessing and protection of our Blessed Mother, St. Joseph, and of course, Jesus, uh, for uh, their patronage over our family life. And so it was coming, here we go, 29 years later, well, thir- almost 30 years from when we uh, were engaged in March of 1994. 90- uh, the uh, that act of consecrating kind of came back around and, and was renewed. It was refreshed for us uh, this Christmas. And uh, my daughter, Mary Grace, actually had given, gotten me a gift. It was a large icon, but it was like a poster that was put into a picture frame of St. Joseph. St. Joseph holding the child Jesus. And so I was like, wow, this is, this is really beautiful. So looking to St. Joseph and to the Holy Family as patrons over our family life is, uh, is something that's emerging. And, and I'm interested to see, Lord, you know, like, Lord, what are you going to do with that? What are going to be the graces that will, will come from that? I don't know if you if you do things like that as you approach the new year, where you ask the Lord for a word, for a scripture, or you ask for a special saint to accompany you during the course of the year. But those are spiritual practices that we've used in our family life, and I've used in my own personal spiritual journey to very very powerful effect, very good effect. So. I'll, I'll talk about that more as we get right up against the beginning of the new year. But just to think about that, be thinking about, is that something that I could do for myself? Is that something that I could do with my wife or my, my husband? Is that something that we could do as a family? Could I have my kids do that as a, as a way to engage the kids in their own spiritual growth in a way that's, that's maybe new or in a way that, again, is going to help connect the reality of heaven and to connect heaven and earth. So uh, think about that. So come back around to St. Joseph. My mind goes to St. Joseph in a very special way on this feast day, on this day where we remember the holy innocents, the ones who were slaughtered on this day. And I think of the courage of St. Joseph, the docility the willingness to be led that St. Joseph showed. You see, here, can you imagine? So here he is. Here he is, and he knows that he's been entrusted with the Blessed Mother and with 
the Messiah, the Son of God, to be the one that he's going to take care of them, right? He is he's this steward. He has this stewardship to be husband of Mary and the foster father of the Son of God. And all of a sudden, he has a dream, and the angel instructs him to take Blessed Mother and Jesus to Egypt for safety. This is not an easy task. This is not a little thing. This is a heavy lift. I mean, he's leaving behind family. He's leaving behind uh, friends, relationships. He's leaving behind the world that he knows to go to a, a far off land, a journey that would not be without, uh, you know, some uh, some difficulties and 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 even dangers. And and yet he did it. He did it because of a dream. I'm not really a dream guy, and I felt this connection to my dad and mom uh, through a couple of dreams the last couple of days. And I'm trying to imagine what it would be like to have such a vivid, concrete, concrete reality show up like that in a dream uh, where there's a message given from an angel that says, Go now, flee. Find your refuge in Egypt because your child is threatened with slaughter. Just hear that out loud. Like, what would you do if you got a message that made it clear that your child's well-being, your child's life was at stake. Would you be willing to uproot? Would you be willing to take that serious action? Well, serious action. It's so mild. Like, pack everything. Go. Now. Flee. Get to safety. And it's not just hide out for a while until the slaughter has passed or go to the next town and stay with cousin Bertha or even go 20, 30 miles away and, uh, and change your name. No, this is make an extended journey of hundreds of miles to a foreign land and just go there. Just go there because you're being told to go there by God. And uh, wouldn't it be easy to say, oh, come on, I don't see any signs of a slaughter. Or, oh, come on, that, that, is that really God? I mean, well, the idea that Herod is, is going to slaughter all of these like, newborn sons, all these newborn babies, is somebody that much of a butcher that, that he would actually do that? That's really extreme. But that's just not going to happen. I mean, come on. Really? Or do I really have to go that far? All of these easy, easy ways of saying uh, it, what's being asked of me is too much. Well, you might have a sense of where I'm headed with this. 
I am not an angel sent from God, and this is not a dream, but I am sounding the alarm that there are many of you who hear my voice, who have children, who are in situations where there is an active slaughter of their innocence. There is an active slaughtering of their faith, of their purity, of their well-being, of their flourishing in life. There is a spreading toxic poison that is washing over, soaking in, and pouring into their lives. And it's not even a question. It's a reality. But there is a question, and the question is, what will I do about it? As a father who leads and provides and protects his family, what ought I to do about it? And this is it's such an interesting thing, because when Carrie and I talk about this, we have we have a, a bit of a difference. Um, at least a, a, there's a, a, a tension that pushes us into different corners. When I think about the idea of uprooting and moving, it's something that I've committed a, a significant portion of my life to. Um, not only did we feel that St. Joseph call to root our family and move um, from uh, from the Puget Sound area over here to the Spokane Coeur corridor, but we felt a call to invite others to to that same journey, if they felt it as well, help them to discern the call and then to take action if that was a call that they also had sensed. And uh, this is where Carrie says, it's a grace. She says, you can't impose a way of seeing things. You can't push people into a corner and make them feel forced. Like, if you don't move, you're doing something wrong. Or now I'm just feeling like I'm being exhorted and browbeaten into um, taking an action. And uh, and and really, it's a grace. And so what Carrie points to in our journey was the magnitude of the, the trial and the suffering that we were undergoing with one of our own daughters and watching the negative effects on our several of our other high school kids, that it became... Uh, it became an urgent matter for us to say, what are we going to do about it? Because measures we were taking to that point, which were pretty significant, weren't sufficient. We were losing the battle. We were losing the battle to the culture, the wider culture, on billboards and festivals and neighborhood signs and even more in the spirit that was in the hallways of uh, the the majority of the kids at the best Catholic high school at the time in the Seattle area. And it's like, okay, if this is the, if there's a tidal wave of resistance against what our kids are being raised to live and what they had found life in, but now are doubting or struggling or wavering, then wait a minute, maybe we've got to do something different. And that's where we took the action of uprooting and moving this way. And thanks be to God, it's so much freer 
uh, and refreshing and life-giving for our kids. And you've heard that story, but it's the story of St. Joseph. It's the story of the Blessed Mother. It's the story of the flight into Egypt. It's the story of today's feast day. It's the story of saying, if there are innocent ones in my home or in my life that are facing a slaughter, what do I do about it? And so Carrie's mindset is pray for the grace. You've got to pray for that grace for that family, that they would sense a like a divine call. This is a call that comes from God. And if the call comes from God, then they'll take action. So she's like, well, Joseph did it because he he had an angel come and speak to him. And if people had angels come and speak, then they'll take action, right? That's 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 kind of a no-brainer. Well, my way of looking at it is, um, yeah, but the but is if the house is on fire, you don't wait for someone to realize the house is on fire if they've got loved ones in the house. You've just got to go run into that house and you've got to pull those kids out. You've got to rescue those that are in a house that's on fire. And if they don't realize it, well, you don't sit there and have a rational argument and say, do you realize your house is on fire? So I think that's that's a, a little bit more my side of things. The way that I look at things is a bit more that we have to wake people up that there is a house on fire. And that means taking action to save the lives of those in that house. All right, more on this in a minute on Sunday. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Karen. Today on the Feast of the Holy Innocents, the innocents who were slaughtered by Herod, on this feast day, I'm reflecting on the figure of St. Joseph and the courage, the determination, the willingness he had to not only provide and protect his family, but lead them. And leading them in a circumstance that was not easy, that would require tremendous sacrifice and in, uh, a move that was not planned. It wasn't a dream. It wasn't what was hoped for, but it was what was required. And what I have experienced in the last four years is that this is increasingly the case for a number of families that are growing up and attempting to grow their families to be Catholic, their kids to be Catholic, and realizing that there are environments that are just toxic to the Catholic faith. And I don't even want to just say environments that are out in the real world. Right. So I, I will point to the if, if you just if you have to take a look at, well, what are the effects? Like, let's take a look at the results. Let's look at the outcome. Like you can do this in an outcome based way by looking at statistics and you'll find that your typical diocesan, diocesan Catholic school and your typical diocesan Catholic high school do a terrible job of producing fervent Catholics as graduates. It just does a terrible job statistically. And let's say Jesuit high schools do an even worse job at that. And then you can even point to uh, colleges that, that are Catholic in name. What is the outcome from the statistical standpoint of these kids when they graduate from that Catholic college, that they are fervently practicing the fullness of their Catholic faith 
in their early 20s as graduates. And, and the answer is shockingly, tragically low. Uh, just such a small percentage of, of graduates are fervently living the fullness of their Catholic faith. And yet, for us who are parents, who are middle-aged, who are raising our kids, pouring out our lives to have our kids grow and flourish in this world, there, are, there, there really needs to be a come-to-Jesus moment, a come-to-Jesus recognition that all is not well. All is not well. If you just do what people around you are doing, your kids will not be practicing a Catholic Christian faith when they graduate college. They won't. That is the incredibly high statistic likelihood. It's like over 85% chance that your kid growing up in a Catholic home, by the time they finish uh, going through even 16 years of Catholic schooling, the likelihood that they're going to be self-identifying, practicing the fullness of their Catholic faith is so very small. And so what what does that mean? Do we just throw up our hands and just say, oh, well, we tried. In fact, that's not what happens. I, I've shared with you on Sound Insight that in a much simpler time, 15 years ago, go prior to the age of the smartphone, the age of the iPhone and the smartphone, and you'll still see, you'll still hear from me the anecdotal evidence of having spoken thousands of times in 35 states in this United States over the course of uh, the, the previous years, beginning back in 1989, all the way through, let's say, 2009, in those 20-year period, the like number one pressing question, besides people asking about their own spiritual lives, like, well, how do I pray and how do I discern God's will? The number one pressing question that I would get would be the look in the eyes from the older parents saying to me, what did I do wrong? My kid is not living their Catholic faith. I brought him up 12 years of Catholic school, sent him to a Catholic college, and now they're married but they're not married in the church. They're having kids and the kids are not being baptized. They're not going to the Catholic church. They're not living their Catholic faith. What should I have done differently? What did I do wrong? Where did I fail? There's what, and then what more, what do I do now? What do I do now to help draw my kids back to the church, back to the practice of the faith? That was, that's 15 years ago. That was the most burning question that I would have regularly spoken to me. And in my naive, arrogant, interior thinking, it was, oh, you obviously weren't doing a very good job raising your kids to be disciples of Jesus in your home. Obviously, you thought it was sufficient just to send them to a Catholic school, but were you really, really praying with them at home and forming their faith at home. Were you really doing a good job at that? Um, at, <laughs> how arrogant. Oh my goodness, how arrogant I was. And it wasn't until I experienced such a trial and tribulation and suffering in my own home with my own kids, beginning to disintegrate the foundation of their faith because of the peers that were around them in, again, this 
best Catholic high school because the majority of the kids were not part of practicing fervent, intentional Catholic homes. These kids were coming into these schools and they were carrying a mindset, a spirit that was anti-Catholic. It was truly demonic, a truly anti-Catholic spirit when it came to understanding the importance of life beginning at conception to natural death, the reality of marriage as between a man and a woman, the reality of, of the sanctity of human life that ought to be protected in the womb, uh, the nature of and the importance of purity and chastity and modesty and self-control in relationships, right? All of these things were just downhill slide into darkness, into things that were completely counter to the Catholic faith, to, to godliness, and that was what was prominent, and that was what was dominant, and that was what was being formed like a fire hose into kids' lives. And that's 10 years ago, brothers and sisters. Now you take a look at the institutional level itself of so many of these Catholic, so-called Catholic high schools that are promoting a demonic, uh, uh, transgender ideology that is destroying the peaceful development of sexual identity in kids today. And it's being promoted and supported in Catholic schools. It's a, it's a horrific thing. It, it is a terrible thing. And I know a lot of kids like we we could think, oh, it's not really that big a deal in our Catholic schools. It's not that big a deal in 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 high schools today. And this is where parents just are just busy about their own lives and maybe feel powerless to do anything about it. Just hands up, what are we gonna do? Right. And and then letting that stuff wash over and soak into us through mainstream media and and so much other stuff can just weaken and diminish the hold that the truth has on our lives. And the question becomes, are we just going to put our head in the ground and stay busy about our own lives and our own jobs and our own businesses and our own little family affairs? And in the end, having the culture around us and the wider society literally depart from any form of authentic Catholic Christian foundation when it comes to human relationships, when it comes to uh, understanding marriage and family life and, and the good of the human person. And so I can't save everybody. I can't, you know, only Jesus can save. And here's the thing, I can't focus on everybody. But I am going to be held accountable and responsible for what I did with my own family. And that's the question that we have to ask ourselves. Am I putting limits on what God can do to provide and protect and lead my family? Am I putting limits on what God can do, what God can do, what God will do, what God is doing, what God is ready to do for my family if I'm willing to say, Lord, lead me wherever you would have us go? Because my goal is to get my kids to heaven, to have my kids live a flourishing life of faith here on earth that more than human success, more than worldly success, having a flourishing faith and a noble human life marked by 
excellence marked by a magnanimity, an authentic striving to be great, to do something great for God in this world. Look, that's what I want. You bring my family to wherever that is. You do whatever you need to do, Lord, but get my family to that place. That's a St. Joseph prayer. That's a St. Joseph prayer. That's a prayer that says, Lord, if there's a slaughter of the innocence of my kids and the innocence of other kids around me, I can't save every kid, but Lord, please, you give me the grace to recognize and take action on what it takes to save my own kids. That's a prayer worth praying, brothers and sisters. Back in a minute, because I want to tell you how I am here to help. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. So uh, just a little bit more of my own journey. So I think, you know, in coming here uh, four years ago, I started, Carrie and I were talking about this and in the different public settings we have and on the radio and on the internet and things like that. And all of a sudden, other families started reaching out to us and other families started to ponder and discern for themselves. And lo and behold, here we are about over four years later. And I don't know, it, it's hundreds of families that have moved, which is beautiful. It's amazing, incredible. And I, I have yet to meet a family that has said, I regret moving. I regret what we left behind. I wish we had stayed. Never met one of them. I have met so many families who have said to me, you have no idea the gift that it has been for us to be able to make the move and to get our kids here and how our kids are doing so much better here, how they're flourishing here. That has been an incredible gift to me to be, uh, to be able to share in that and then to continue to help them, right? So uh, refugees become exiles, right? The, the folks that sought refuge here, not to hide, but to help kids recover a flourishing in their own personal lives and in their faith, right? To help them with that sense of flourishing. That's something that Carrie and I said, we've just got to dedicate more of ourselves to doing that. And so that's when I felt the call to uh, step away from serving business owners, CEOs and senior executives, helping them grow their senior leadership teams and their businesses, and instead shift into helping homeowners, heads of families, to be able to discern and take action so that their families could make a move and flourish. And because I realized by having done it myself and help, having walked with a number of other families, I realized that it's there's a lot of trauma involved. There's a lot of feeling paralyzed involved. There's a lot of feeling overwhelmed involved and families that are saying, we need to move, but I don't know how to do it. How do I find the right place to live? How do I find the right place to go to church? How do I find the right uh, place to send them to school? How do I find uh, the, the neighborhoods and the areas where families like us have moved where they're living? Um, how do I even get a sense of the area itself and, and the kinds of things that will be important to us because of the things that we we do where we're living now? All of those things, I realized, are part of helping people move, right? So it's funny, I, I you know became licensed as a real estate agent in Washington and Idaho, but the work I'm doing is so much more about helping families flourish. It's really about talking with families, and I'm doing this every single week, talking with families who are discerning. Like, we tell them, what do we do? And like, here's our situation and trying to figure out 
if we're going to stay, how do we stay well? How do we stay in a way that will help our kids be protected from the toxic effects of where they're at? And is there a place to help them better flourish? But if they're going to, if we're going to move, what does that look like? How do we possibly move with regards to all of these kids having to be uprooted from the teams they're on, the friends they have, the neighborhoods they're in, the places they're comfortable with, the places they've grown up with? And now, how do we help them connect with other kids that they will uh, feel like they can enjoy and, and gel with? And the beautiful thing is four years later, there are so many of these pockets of families that have come together. So I think of the Chesterton Academy of Notre Dame, and you know it's 104 students, and like within four years, it's become one of the largest Chesterton Academies in the entire network of Chesterton Academies around the country. It's shocking how fast it's grown faster than any other one, and it's continuing to grow. And that's just a short 30 miles away from the Port of Christ uh, Classical Catholic Academy, uh, Classical Academy in the Catholic Tradition in Coeur d'Alene. And, you know, that has uh, 50 students uh, plus, and it's on its path towards, you know, 60, 70 next year, and then towards 100 the year after that. And there's their second year in. And again, it, you say, who are the families that are actually attending these schools? And you see that there are the, the predominant set of kids. So many of these kids are from families that moved here, not to mention the flourishing co-ops. At the younger age, the Cabrini Co-op in Coeur d'Alene, and there are two other co-ops, St. Michael and St. Thomas Aquinas Network, uh, these co-ops that are in Spokane Valley and in Coeur d'Alene that can run from you know K through 12. Uh, again, drawing in so many families. Now, there are a lot of families that were here to begin with, uh, and you know we're raising their families here, but they've welcomed in these other families that have uh, moved this way. You've heard me talk about the Oaks Classical Christian uh, Academy, and there are, I don't know, 20 Catholics that are at that school between, you know, in the younger grades all the way up into the high school. Um, and that has been a place for a lot of Catholics to find a, a wonderful place of flourishing for their kids' lives as well. So you have these schools that are set up, plus the homeschooling options that are so rich over here as well. And then you have jobs. So a lot of the families that were the first movers, the early movers, have this entrepreneurial spirit. And they are like, well, I'm, you know, I'm coming with a business, or I'm not afraid to start a business, or I'm not afraid to buy a business, or I'm not afraid to uh, to grow a business over here. And uh, and that has been a wonderful gift to be able to like when I when I connect with families, I, it's like yeah okay. Part of what I'm trying to do is helping them figure out how to buy or sell a home or both, but so much of it is also okay. Let's figure out not only the right place to live and the right school to connect to and the right churches because there are many churches over here that are flourishing as well, but to help them find families to connect that are around these churches. And then um, to be able to say, what about jobs? Which is just another part and parcel of this whole picture. So being able to connect them to people like, let me find out about the work you do. Okay, let me make some connections for you so that you can have some meetups and you can figure out if there's a job for you over here as well. So it's not just, it's not just about the house. Like the work that I'm doing uh, right now in, in real estate 
is it's like this full meal deal. Like, let me help you find a refuge. Let me help you find a, a new home, a home, not just a house, a home and a place of flourishing. And it feels like a rescue mission. It feels like a, a rescue effort, a, a place of refuge. But then again, for a lot of refugees that now you're in a place of exile because you feel cut off from home. Because remember now, people that are making these moves are not making these moves because they felt like, oh, this was the ideal spot where I wanted to end up in my life. It's just not the case. And so for a lot of them, it's how do I find a sense of common cause and common life circumstance with other folks who get it. They get it. And again, now that so many hundreds of families have moved here, and, it, and it's not just from, you know, not just from the, the greater Seattle area, the West Side, but from around the country, people are being drawn here. It's been a wonderful leaven in the local community, a wonderful leaven for helping folks uh, to activate their Catholic faith. You hear Father Lewis talk about how busy and full his church is getting. Well, the great majority of those folks that are going up at these churches at his church at St. Mary's in, in Spokane Valley are folks that hear him on the radio and have made the move here. So uh, that's a really powerful sign all by itself of what God is doing. And so on this feast of the uh, the in the holy innocents who were slaughtered by Herod, uh, it becomes a a day of pondering and reflecting after the manner of Saint Joseph. How am I called today to lead and provide and protect my family, my children, my grandchildren, my nieces and nephews, my great grandchildren? What can I do? to help them discover this new awareness, a sense of urgency about how important it is to take action that will help rescue their kids from being poisoned by anti-Christian, even demonic ideologies that are out there, but to bring them to a place that is really better. It's, it's a place that is a place of flourishing. And if that's not an option, if the if the need of the moment or the requirement of the moment is to stay in place in a in a on the front lines of where this toxic spirit is present, then to discover the the resources, the relationships, the connections that will help strengthen the faith that is there. It will take an extraordinary, even a heroic effort. And don't doubt that, that it's going to take a heroic effort be able to have you who are staying in those places to be able to maintain a Catholic faith. The, the presumption should be that my kids will lose their faith unless I put in heroic efforts to help them sustain their faith. It's just statistics. It's just the outcomes. But it's not about outcomes. It's about people. It's about your kids. It's about your grandkids. It's about their souls. It's about their purity. It's about their their mindset. It's about how they're going to live their one life. All right. God bless your day. Join me tomorrow for more Sun Insight.